This is the CX Insights Rockstars Podcast. And this is your host, Dr. Frank Buckler, founder and CEO of CXAI. Let's rock this show. Welcome CX Insights Rockstars. We have a wonderful guest today, Kajuli Tanka from Microsoft. And our topic today is how to build high-performance internal insights teams. Let me quickly introduce Kajoli. She heads up consumer product research for Microsoft, working on brands like Surface, Search, Microsoft 365, or Windows. And she has a master's in market research that most of us don't have, <laughs> and two decades in understanding what consumers really feel and why. And actually, Kajoli is very passionate about building strong, high-performance teams. And this is the reason why she's here uh, and we selected this topic. Welcome, Kajoli. Hi, thank you so much, Frank. I'm so glad to be here. So when, when I informed myself about you, I stumbled across a fact. You actually have a master's in forestry. So is this uh, helpful in the research space? Yeah, so uh, you know, there's a little. So that was my first master. So I had a master's in forestry, and this was when I had come out of college, full of a lot of ideals, and wanted to make the world a better place. So I, at that time, I was just like 21 years old, you know. And so I got this master's in forestry, and it was a very interesting experience. But you know, I stumbled into market research by accident almost after that, because at that point in time, I was so idealistic that it took very little time for me to get disillusioned. Now, to your actual question, which is what have you learned from forestry that has uh, you know that you can take to research i learned a lot from my masters in forestry i mean a lot of that is to do with how much we're in you know harmony with the world part of an ecosystem not just not the rulers of the ecosystem i think just that perspective is really helpful in business because in any large company like microsoft you're a small part of a giant ecosystem so just having that perspective ingrained is really good second uh, when i was doing my masters in forestry one of the techniques we had learned was a technique called joint forest management so this is the idea that the forest is a natural resource that is owned by everyone and because it's a common property it actually suffers from the tragedy of the commons where people take but don't give back so one of the things we learned was how to make all the stakeholders who are interested in uh, getting resources from the forest sort of accountable to take care of it as well and i think that particular technique joint forest management where you are trying to influence people across a variety of organizations and you are trying to get them to a common objective that is really not in their short-term need, that doesn't fulfill their short-term need, I think that technique is marvelous in a, in a large organization. Because you're frequently, you know, if you're going to be successful and if you're going to be effective in your goals, you're going to have to learn how to work across organizations that really you have no power over. So how, yeah. how do you do that then? How, how do you make... Uh, the, the stakeholders treat the company as a forest? Yeah. So I would say most of the times that difficulties happen in large organizations, it's usually due to failure to communicate. You know, most people are really trying to do a good job. And most people at Microsoft, you know, are the nicest people, nicest and smartest people I've ever met. But sometimes there's a failure to communicate. So by creating the vision for what their work will actually end up contributing to by being a servant to the cause, not by making, you know, myself the ruler of the cause and by aligning to, uh, you know, one goal that we all want to accomplish. I think that's the way you kind of make it work. You know, people, you have to, you have to call to people's larger cells and, you know, everybody has them. I mean, and I feel kind of blessed in Microsoft. I feel like there are a lot of like very nice people 
who are very smart, who are trying to do their own things, just like sometimes your objectives aren't aligned. So if you align the objectives to the greater good of Microsoft, people kind of get, you know, people kind of get into that ecosystem. So I think that one technique, the joint forest management, I think that has really kind of helped me. I think also, you know, as um, as one part of the system, I think a lot of times people spend a lot of time feeling frustrated about how things should be, you know? So I think that really reduces your own energy and effectiveness. And I feel like having had training in being powerless and yet making things move forward, I think I don't waste all this time thinking things should be a certain way. People need to be this way. Everyone needs to think how amazing, you know, my idea is. Like, I just don't have any of that, but I try to work. I try to be a servant leader and try to get things moving forward. So I think that's that's something I've learned because of my master's in forest. You know, someday I feel like I'll go back to my, my roots, uh, you know, but for now I'm having a great time in research. Cool. I wasn't expecting that my question was so good, <laughs> so uh revealing um let's let's further jump into the topic how did you basically how did your passion evolved in building high high performance teams you know i think what what happens is when you start in your career you're very focused on yourself like you are you know you make yourself really big in your own mind you think through yourself and you know once you start working in a team you can go one of two ways you can either be a person that activates the whole team or you can be a person who leads the team from front. And I have seen over time, the results I've gotten from when the team is truly activated are exponentially to what I would achieve on my own. You know, I can start out with an idea and then I find like, you know, my idea uh, for, uh, you know, kind of my idea for, for whatever the project is. I feel like if I incorporate my team members ideas in it, it's like exponentially so much better. So then I kind of slowly started to shift and um, kind of really get to activating my team members and being a servant leader. And I think once I saw the power of that, there's no going back. There's no going back to being very ego-centered and just trying to do, you know, your own thing. You just like, you try to be the power behind the group. Yeah, that's, uh, that's uh, basically the power to, to your own impact. So now yeah. let's please share uh, the secrets of how, how to make it work. Yes. Yeah, so I would say I've been evolving my own management style. And this honestly may not speak to everyone. But, uh, you know, this book called Radical Candor by Kim Scott really influenced me. So she has this concept where she says you have to both personally care and directly challenge your team if you want them to rise. And I, she has this idea that if you care too much for their feelings and don't give them the right feedback, they're really not going to do uh, that well. So you can be, so my personal flaw was I used to be in the zone of ruinous empathy, you know, where I used to worry so much about the feelings of everybody that I would never tell them the hard feedback that they needed to hear. Sometimes when I was a very early career manager, I used to, in fact, find it easy to just do the work myself, you know, instead of like burdening my team. Because I was just like, oh, this is not working out right. Let me just like, you just have to do it yourself. And I think, you know, kind of learning about that that zone is in the zone of ruinous empathy, where your empathy is actually hobbling your team members and getting out of it. I think that was step one in trying to figure out how do you build high performing teams. I think second is trying to be, you know, the kind of manager that the people that, that your team members need. So when you are, uh, you know, leading uh, kind of junior team members, they might need a lot of guidance. But when you come to my stage and when you are actually managing leaders, you have to lead in a very different kind of way. So having EQ to shift your leadership gear As your scale changes, I think that's really important. So I give a lot of, so to the directors who report into me, I give them a lot of independence. 
So, uh, you know, a lot of the times, you know, we say that we want our leaders to be leaders, but we don't actually allow them to lead in, in our behaviors. So when they make mistakes, we can be, you know, over chastising, we can give them too much advice. So it's very hard to sometimes step back and let them lead. So the second thing is, I would say, giving a ton of independence, uh, you know, and then uh, I would say the third thing to be like a really uh, great team leader is just making your people feel valued. I think a lot of times, sometimes if you have, you know, all of us have insecurities and most of us leaders have insecurities too. So I think sometimes when our team members are really good, we can sometimes be a little bit insecure about their own skill and we don't want to show them that they're really good. So just recognizing that that's a crappy side of yourself that you are going to have to overcome. You can feel whatever you feel, but you have to behave in the way that benefits the team. So I think that's the piece, like making as they're, as you're, as your like leaders are growing, you have to tell them how valued they are. Like, don't get threatened by their growth. Because I think, I think that's what leads to a truly high. That, and then they are able to cascade that onto their teams. So I would say, you know, having radical candor, giving independence, and then appreciating people. I think these qualities are. I don't know what's happening in Germany, but in the U.S., we are certainly having the great musical chairs. You know, so we're seeing uh, people kind of move you know out of organizations and move into new organizations there's a lot of like great musical chairs happening right now so having said that it's even more important that the people who report to you they really want to be there yeah um, at least we see that in the agency space where basically yeah people were working because they were part of a cool team and they could go there and play kicker every day and now in home office is this yes also is the team a value basically doesn't work out anymore right so yeah. and actually this brings me to this this other question uh, also related to the first point you mentioned what i learned is or not learned but saw saw this in, in literature that the key predictor for uh performance and for job satisfaction is actually that you are have a good relationship with your boss right so a, a, yeah much more important than many most other things and um, your first point was basically kind of challenging that because of course you know really need to be honest and and also challenging to your team member right yes so uh, how how do you see this yeah this piece of advice or, or research I, I found yeah so I think I want to challenge the assumption that you're making Frank here which is that if you challenge your direct, they actually do feel less cared for. My experience is they actually feel more cared for because what happens is you have to first build a foundation of a very strong relationship and then you can start to challenge. And then they must never be in doubt that what you're doing when you're challenging them is you're trying to raise them to the next level. You know, so sometimes with my directs, I'll even be vulnerable and say, hey, I'm really hesitant in giving you this feedback because I'm worried it'll make you feel like I'm criticizing you. However, I feel like if you were to do this in this particular way, instead of this particular way, you would activate in a whole new way. And I feel like having built a relationship first and uh, then kind of being vulnerable in moments, but also directly challenging them so they know that I'm on their side, but I'm doing what I'm doing for what a bigger vision I have for them. I think that's the trick. The other part, Frank, you didn't ask, but I think that is just like the reality of hybrid work environments. You know, you're talking about The great musical chairs in our industry right now, it looks like it happens in, is happening in, in Germany too, uh, in your world of like, how do you keep employees? I actually think there is no way around it right now, you know, because the tools we have to bond within, uh, you know, within the team, to make the team feel essentially like part of a tribe 
we just don't have them in the hybrid world. You know, I kind of think like, hey, should we play? Should we do kind of like games in the evening? But, you know, people are so tired of screen time all day because the way life is structured is that your screens all day, your entertainment is also, you know, maybe binging something on Netflix or, you know, kind of what you're reading your Kindle. So you're basically your eyes are going from screen to screen to screen. So they don't really like a virtual thing doesn't kind of really replace what we used to have in person when you could like go to the bar and hang out or have some kind of Microsoft event where people would be wearing, you know, those t-shirts and those jackets that kind of make you, they were all very important. So I don't think there's a good surrogate for that in the virtual world. I really don't know. I'm like, do you have any suggestions of like a good surrogate that doesn't involve like just virtual? No, I I think uh, you cannot replace a real world, real world. I mean, you don't need to meet every day, actually, that's could be uh, bad as well, right? Yeah. But I think uh, if you, I think quality is even more important than quantity. Yeah. So if you meet once a year, but then do a big party and go crazy, right? So one-time experiences, which are very human and very intense, I guess this creates a great bond and can take for years for virtual virtual collaboration. I completely agree. I do think the hybrid world has many benefits. You know, people, I think, can, you know, lead their best lives. Like they can, you know, the whole idea of working from anywhere. So I've, you know, had people who are kind of living close to the family. So I think overall, it has a lot of benefits for society and it has a lot of benefits for individual well-being, you know, but I don't think it has that many benefits to bond as a team. You know, so I think there's that, that, you know, that serendipity where you bump into someone, you know, in the copy room and you're just basically like both of you are just replenishing your supply and you end up having like a fantastic conversation that's gone, you know? So how do we, like how, like I'm looking for that too. For, for me, like the only solution I have come up with so far is to be okay with it. Like don't, don't stress about churn, yeah. you know? And that's probably not like a nice thing to say, but it's, it's a practical thing to say, you know, create the best environment you can and be okay with some churn. Yeah, that's probably probably it. I have another question uh, because when it comes to managing a team, I learned once uh, with something which I found interesting. And, and it is basically that you need to, to always have more work than people. Yes. And it is it is something which employees don't like because typically they say, you know what, I have too much to do. If you give me too much, right? Yeah. So uh, what do you think about, I mean, I can explain why I think it's it's true, but maybe, maybe you, you have an opinion on that. So I have an opinion, but I'm very interested to hear yours too. My opinion is, yes, you're right. And that's kind of for two reasons. One is I have never had high performing people on my team who are not happy, who are happy when they don't have like, when they're not 110% busy. You know, so it's almost like anytime my team members have a little bit of downtime, they are not enjoying themselves at all. And like, there is nothing that I have ever said that, you know, their people are judged by the quantity of work they do. It's always by the quality. So I kind of feel like one for motivation is always good for if you have a high performing team, which I do. So I have like solid performers and I hire very carefully, you know, so uh, they are never happy unless they're a little bit over busy. So this is just a pattern I've noticed. So that's thing number one. And thing number two is when you have a little bit more work than you can comfortably handle, I think it allows you to prioritize. Right. And I think that that prioritization of picking the best work, I think that's my second reason is if you don't have, you know, if you don't have like enough work, how are you going to prioritize? How are you going to say like, hey, I'm not doing this because I'm doing this. And then third, finally, of course, it's an indicator that your team is valuable. You know that so I think those those are my three reasons. Yeah, I mean, I had the, the second reason in mind that 
you know, that you can, of course, work endlessly. Uh, there's so much work, but actually it's, yeah, it's not worthwhile to do everything uh, it's sometimes. Uh, and if you have more work than people, you really do those things where you have the highest outcome and the highest um, value to the company. And oftentimes, you know, things seem to be valuable, but they turn out to be not so much. Uh, sometimes we also overestimate the value of things. So and, and it forces you to prioritize and, and yeah, yes. or to be faster or to be more efficient. Yes. Yeah. As an employee, you have eight, eight hours or whatever to fill and you will always fill it. Right. And there's only a, yeah. an incentive to be more effective if you have more work than you can ever yes. handle. Exactly. I think overall, you know, I think, Frank, you're hitting on a great point. I think always for growth, you need a little tension in the system. Right. You know, and I think that tension can be provided in direct management by radical candor, you know, as I talked about that earlier, and can be provided by slightly too much work, but it's just, uh, you know, having exactly the perfect amount of work, it just doesn't exist. And I think, I think we should, we should like welcome the conflict because it's going to be there. You know, we should welcome it. Like there are huge perks to it. You know, it's kind of, you know, I think as leaders, Frank, uh, I think people like you and me, we're constantly just evolving now to, uh, you know, how to be leaders in the pandemic. You know, I've, I feel like I'm reaching into a whole new set of skills, which nobody knows about, by the way, because this is nobody's done this before. So what's the path forward? And I'm having to kind of I feel like I'm forging that, uh, you know, just like all the other leaders around me. We're kind of forging that on our own. We're learning together. We're comforting each other. You know, when we are coming up with challenges, like it just doesn't feel right. What kind of morale event? to have oh my god i was thinking of having a morale in person but uh, you know the 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 graph started going up again and now you know we're back in semi lockdown so like what do we do or some you know the two employees were like remote do i make them like there's so many new things like how do you create inclusion and how do you create high performance none of us really know that but i think that's the tension in the system that's going to make us even better leaders interesting because mm -hmm. uh, we can talk for hours but we need to <laughs> come to to a close which type of question would you have asked yourself and if you would be in my shoes yes well i think frank the question i would ask myself if i'm in your shoes okay uh, there's so many uh, so i think i think the question i'd ask is like what qualities do you look for when you hire someone uh -huh. and i think i would say the number one quality besides being great at your intellect you know obviously so iq and then uh, the second quality is i look for nice people because i've always had nice teams you know that don't they compete with each other which is in a healthy way not in an unhealthy way like they have a lot of like partnerships and friendship and there's like a joy in being in a nice team so i kind of like i try to hire nice people and i try to hire smart people that's like given but you know within that nice people and good people like the thing that sets successful people you know apart in my life is two qualities one is people who understand a system you know so they understand how the system is actually working and second quality is people who can move things forward you know so i think that's the combination of like just this 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 eq where you know how work actually happens and then you have something you know which is like the kind of the executive function like you know how to move a project forward you know how to like the invisible people that you know kind of you think 
don't really matter to your project, but they are the ones who are actually going to move your people in departments other than your organization. You know, who's going to move this thing forward? How is this going to be successful? If your insights, you actually are going to see them in the marketplace, what are the steps that need to happen? I think that thing. So I think understanding the system and knowing how to work in the system, those are the two qualities I look for. I think that's the question I would ask. And that's, I think the advice I would give myself if I were to start over is focus on building these two qualities, like be a learning organization yourself. Wonderful final world. Yeah. Uh, thank you very much, Kajuli, for being the guest today. It was uh, very insightful. And uh, so thank you very much and see you soon. Thank you, Frank. I love this. Thank you for doing this series. I hope to see more and more of your videos. I love your videos. <laughs> thank you. Awesome. Much. See you soon. Bye. This was an episode of CX Insights Rockstars. Join the CX Insights Rockstars on LinkedIn and keep on rocking CX Insights.